to the Hack My Solar Podcast, providing off-grid solutions to an on-grid world. Hey everybody and welcome to the Hack My Solar Podcast. This is Sean Mills and today we're going to talk about why Texas is winning the renewable energy war. It's not really a war, but Texas uh, is definitely winning if there was one. Uh, last year, 20% of Texas energy came from renewables, and that's primarily wind. And on some days, that number was over 40%. There's no other state in the union, including California, with all their solar installations uh, that can claim um, that type of record. The largest city in the United States that is 100% renewable is also in Texas. So a little history here. Uh, in 1999, Governor George Bush signed a bill to drive the state towards renewable energy. And after he became the president, Governor Perry increased those goals and helped pass funding bills to improve the infrastructure to make the whole system work. The reality is most of the good solar and wind infrastructure uh, needed to go into West Texas because that's where the, where the, the best places for it were and, and the cheapest land. But most of the population of Texas lives in East Texas. So, you know, when you think about it, one of the biggest advantages that Texas has is that it has its own grid. There's three interconnections in the United States. you got the eastern one, the western one, and the Texas one. Uh, Texas does not have to work with FERC, which stands for the Federal Energy Regulation Commission, in order to get things done. They have their own uh, called ERCOT, which is the uh, Electric Electrical Reliability Council of Texas, and that helps manage down costs. And they do that through a pretty interesting uh, way. Um, they have an online auction system known as a bid stack. And what happens is that the different producers that operate in the state of Texas bid on what the marginal cost of their next megawatt of production is, megawatt of production is, plus some reasonable margin. Those bids are stacked up, and the cheapest ones are deployed to the grid first, and then the next cheapest, and so on. So on days when the wind is blowing really hard in West Texas, the first 40% of that stack is wind generation at very low marginal cost. I mean, if you think about it, it doesn't really cost anything to get the wind to blow. Either it blows or it doesn't. And when it blows hard and it's sustained, a larger portion of that energy can come from the wind. So if you think... When we're talking about a bid stack, so you've got X percentage um, of your you know, stack, let's call it 20% is wind and solar, right? Very low marginal cost uh, to, to make electricity once those systems are in place. Then your next one, maybe the next 10% of your stack is nuclear energy. Nuclear costs four arms and 15 legs to build, but once it's built, it actually operates pretty cheap. Um, so that's 30% of your stack. And let's say maybe the next 50% of your stack is natural gas because Texas has so much of that. And so the last 20% uh, of the stack is going to be made of some combination of coal. Maybe some there might be biomass in there, things like that. And so maybe that stack represents, and I'm just pulling numbers out of the air here, but that stack represents, you know, a terawatt of electricity. Well, if they only need 800 gigawatts of electricity, which it would be 80% of that uh, stack, 
Well, they're only going to take the bottom 80%. So that extra 20% on the end, the coal and the other stuff, they don't even get to sell their electricity. So it forces them to look at ways that they can, you know, because right now in Texas, coal is one of the most expensive ways to make electricity. And most of the, of the United States, coal is relatively cheap, uh, particularly on the newer plants that are up. But in Texas, when you compare it to the other stuff that they have, it's more expensive. So that forces the coal company, because the coal company just can't go and run to the governor and say, hey, man, your plan that's working out for everyone isn't working out for me. I need you to change it. Well, they could say that, but they're not going to get a whole lot of traction. So it forces the coal operator now to take a look at his cost structure and say, all right, what can I do to reduce my costs? Can I get the coal cheaper? Can I run more efficiently? Uh, can I run with a lower number of operators? What can I do with my subcontractors to perhaps share subcontracting resources amongst a block of plants so that I get cheaper you know, per hour overhead costs and things like that? They really, really, and, and I literally just bid work for Luminant Energy last week. And so I'm looking at what those guys are going into, how they're going about their business. They're not saying, give us the cheapest rates. They're saying, give us the cheapest cost, which in my industry, that's something that we don't hear a lot of, but we hear it from everyone in Texas because they have to run lean. They have to generate that power as cheaply as possible because here's the reality. Those coal plants come on and they run for 12 to 18 months. Okay? They don't come on and off, on and off, on and off like a natural gas plant can do. It actually damages the plant and makes them cost more to run if they try to cycle it. So they're going to be generating that electricity. Okay, They're going to have the, these big coal-fired boilers up and running. So either they're bidding it in where they know they can make money, or they're bidding it in where they're at least selling their electricity because they've got to put it on the grid. They may actually be losing money through a certain part of the year. So it's kind of interesting to think about the fact that, and this is just something over the last 20 years that's changed. You know, coal, I'm even well, even today with all of the renewables and all the natural gas, Texas still burns twice the coal. They're number one in the country. They burn twice the coal of number two. I mean, think about that. They got more wind than anyone else. They've got more natural gas than anyone else. And they're still burning more coal than anyone else. And so with all the the electrical need that's there, um, they have really high, you know, uh, need for electricity. But the deal is that need isn't changing. So the more wind, the more solar, the more biomass, the more natural gas uh, goes in, the more it's going to displace coal unless those coal plants, again, can find a place to, to uh, or find ways to generate that electricity from a more cost-effective standpoint. So um, the interesting thing is that those uh, investments, particularly in, in wind, were being driven both by policy and by public funding in the shape of federal tax rebates. So they were spending, let's call it $10 million. They're getting $3 million in tax rebates. So that's a big deal when you can uh, when you can do those things. And the more you do, the less it costs. And then not only, no matter what it costs, you're getting 30 points back. So, you know, that's an, a definite thing that helped to drive that. Well, 
those rebates for wind energy are drying up after next year. 2019 will be the last year that there's a 30% tax credit on wind. But the solar ones are going to keep on going for a few more years. This is an interesting t statistic. Right now, there are already approvals for systems to connect to the grid and funding in place to triple the utility scale solar in Texas just next year. So they've got all this solar in right now. They've already got both funding and connection approval to do three times what they have right now next year. And by 2021, it may triple or quadruple again because all these, all these investments that have been going into wind, well, once the levelized cost of solar goes down below wind when the tax credits go away, that same money is not going to stop flowing into the system. It's just going to flow into solar instead of wind. It would be... It would be reasonable to expect that by, call it 2023, 40 to 50% of Texas' overall energy usage comes from wind and solar. Uh, that's, that's how much investment is going in there. Um, I'll tell you what, let's, um, I want to talk about natural gas for a second. I know natural gas is not renewable, uh, but right now there's so much of it coming out of the ground in Texas as a byproduct of the shale oil drilling that, you know, it's not a renewable resource, but it's not one that's going to run out anytime soon. Let me give you an interesting stat here. Texas right now is flaring. That means they're burning off through pipes that stick out of the ground. 10 billion cubic feet per month of natural gas. Now, one cubic foot of natural gas has about 1,000 BTUs of energy in it. So that means that's 10 trillion BTUs every single month. That's enough to heat, or not even heat, that's enough to replace the, house, the annual household consumption of 126,000 homes in the state of Tennessee. That means every year, Texas is flaring off or just burning into the atmosphere enough natural gas to, to completely replace 60% of the entire natural gas consumption in the state of Tennessee. And you ask, well, why in the heck would they do that? Well, the pipelines aren't in place. You got all this gas coming out of the Permian Basin. The pipelines aren't in place yet to move it anywhere. It's They're coming. Next year, the big one going down uh, to the Gulf Coast is going to be completed. And when that happens, you're going to start seeing all this natural gas become liquefied and go on tankers and go overseas. There's billions and billions and billions of dollars. I sounded like Donald Trump there, didn't I? <laughs> billions of dollars uh, being pumped into the uh, natural gas export capabilities along the Gulf Coast. And as soon as these pipelines are done, uh, it's going to be a bit of a game changer. Here's an interesting story or another interesting stat. At $3.50 per million BTU, which that's how they price natural gas is dollars per million BTUs. At $3.50, there's not a single coal-fired power plant in the state of Texas that can generate electricity on par with the cost of natural gas. Today, the Henry Hub, which is the benchmark price for natural gas, is $3.04. The Waha Hub, which is the big one that's in the Permian Basin, is at $0.82. Cents. Let me say that one more time. 
There's not a single coal provider in Texas that can compete with $3.50 per million BTU natural gas. And right now in the Permian Basin, you can buy it for $0.82 cents per million BTU. And you ask, well, why? Why is it so cheap? Why is it, you know, $2.20 less than the, the benchmark? It's because there's nowhere for it to go. Here's what happens. When these guys are drilling, they're allowed to flare off the gas while they're drilling. Once they've reached the shale oil deposits, they only get the to flare for another 45 days and after that they've got to put it they got to have their infrastructure in place to put it into a pipeline well the pipeline capacity is already eaten up you've got pipelines going down to texas okay well that's great but the pipelines i'm not not sorry not texas mexico but the pipelines in mexico that connect those pipelines to where it's actually used aren't in place yet so yeah we can fill up the pipeline but once it's full there's nowhere for it to go Right now, the, the ability to get natural gas out of the state of Texas is being outstripped by the production. And until that changes, once those wells hit their 45-day that the federal government allows them to flare, they literally have to shut down oil production. Now they can't produce oil because they can't burn off the, the natural gas as a byproduct. So they're selling it at $0.82 cents just so they can keep ma- uh, producing oil. So... It's kind of a, um, a perfect storm in, in the state of Texas right now. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine out there about solar, and he's like, you know, it doesn't make sense for me to put a solar in. And I said, well, why do you say that? He said, because I got some of the cheapest electricity in the country. They're paying six, seven cents a kilowatt hour in Texas. We're paying 11 in Tennessee. I don't pay 11, but my friends that are on grid do. Well, if you're paying seven, and someone over here is paying 11 a normal person would look at that and say, well, it's only $0.04. Cents. What's, what's the big deal, $0.04? Cents? Well, $0.04 cents is more than 50% higher than 7 You know, half of 7 will be $3.50. So that means that $0.11 cents per kilowatt hour cost is more than 50% more expensive than what the guy in Texas is. So absolutely, I totally see his point. And the fact that Texas has figured it out, that they've got this, these investment dollars flowing in, that you're starting to see some storage stuff happen right now, all of that's going to lead to there's probably never going to be a whole lot of rooftop solar in Texas because they're winning the war. They're doing it at the utility scale and keeping the costs so far down that there's no real incentive to any uh, individual consumer to go out and do their own thing. So, hey, guys, with that being said, thanks for joining me today. If you've got questions, you can send them to me at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at HackMySolar.com. You can see us on the Hack My Solar Facebook page. We have created a new Facebook group called On Grid Solutions for an Off-Grid World. So you can go on there and ask us any questions. only thing I'm going to ask you, if you go on there, read the rules first, I will ban you if you go on there and start trying to define what off-grid is for other people. That's a pet peeve of mine. If you've got a question, we'll definitely answer answer it. If you want to start a conversation, we can have a conversation. Uh, but don't go on there and say things like, well, how can you be on Facebook if you're off the grid? Because that's ridiculous. You're trying to define the term. Anyways, a little bit of a soapbox there at the very end. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today, and we'll talk to you next time.
Oh, <laughs> 